0: Welcome to Mouthful with Shanti. It is episode four. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Today my guest is Becky Lynn, a comedian and one of the co-hosts of the podcast It's Crazy You're in My Business. We have a really great conversation that sheds light on transracial adoption, colorblindness, interracial dating, and co-parenting. So
1: I hope you enjoy bidet that you do they have, have baby bidets ones. no but i feel so bad for remy because she's gonna get used to bidet wife and then she's gonna go to school and be like <laughs> my butt never feels clean enough it's cool <laughs> it's
0: gonna be, it's how be old so is she
1: she's, she's only 14 months we got a long time
0: okay so when does when does like potty training when does like using I, those little um stools start
1: i think that it's like up to everybody i feel like a lot of people start at two um i'm probably gonna start soon just like Sitting, having her sit on her toilet when I sit on my toilet and like see. Oh, like a little toilet buddy. Yeah. See how she like feels about it. Because one of my mom bodies. friends does that. She like whenever she has to go and she thinks her son might have to go, she just sits him on the toilet.
0: OK, that's and good. Then, yeah. So and I want to get her
1: comfortable with it.
0: She can learn like a, a schedule. You yeah. Know? Maybe do it before school where there are no bidets. Right. Yeah. 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 You're going to be like, watch what you eat at school, too. Because, you know, you might
1: experience something where you're like, oh, my God. Well, and like schools have the worst toilet paper. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, God, thin... I don't even
0: remember. I don't remember the last time mm-hmm. that I've used toilet paper paper. My school. school, toilet.
1: my high school had the sheets, like the, you would have to pull out like sheets at a time. It okay. wasn't like a roll.
0: Oh, like paper napkins at like a yes. jack-in-the-box. Yes, that, exactly that. To wipe your that. jack-in-the-box. box mm-hmm. All That's right, what it's like. Jackie <laughs> in the box. <laughs> Man. No, yeah. You know what I hate when you're at a bathroom and they're out of toilet paper and you have to use one of those seat seat covers. Oh yeah. I
1: just had to do that yesterday. It's like scratching your pussy. Like And you want to know what? I did it at an in and out. Oh my and God. i was so offended because i was like in and out you guys are usually on your shit yeah what do you mean
0: why is there no toilet paper this is a christian company <laughs> exactly like i thought you would be at <laughs> least
1: having toilet paper in here they're like we have the whole foods nobody even needs to wipe their butt here it's disgusting
0: <laughs> i do feel like now in san francisco though going to bathrooms i've enjoyed the experience because the gender neutral bathrooms they've mm. kind of upped their game yeah i haven't I haven't fell into not having toilet paper it being kind of extra messy. I haven't
1: no they're much cleaner yeah very, very positively yeah. represented that I really do love a gender a gender neutral bathroom, yeah, it is nice
0: I like running pe- running into people into a gender neutral bathroom. It's like, oh hey, hey, hey yeah, yeah, I'm just washing my hands like like a person does after using the bathroom, and maybe I am fixing my tits. go ahead and watch, do you like it? <laughs> Like, I feel like we have this moment. He's like, bitch, I'm not looking at your taste. My girlfriend is outside. I'm just trying to walk it
1: out. i just trying to connect. Just there for the human connection, you know? Yeah. And I feel like they have good lighting in there, too. I feel like that is the perfect meet cue. Should yeah. we write that movie? Where they yeah. meet at a gender neutral, like, washing their hands. Wow, that's so, like, like a Gen bathroom? It really is. That's so, like, young. Yeah, it is. We're so young. Yeah, and hip. <laughs> Very young and hip. Not <laughs> not chuggy, as as I think they're calling us millennials now. Two
0: people, pronouns Zay-Z, oh my God. meet in a gender-neutral bathroom. We're out here.
1: We are aware. <laughs> we know things happening.
0: We're all about it. Okay, so tell me. So Remy. Remy. There's so much that I want to ask you because – And so I just, I'm just gonna spill it out. Let's start before, let's start before Remy. With you, Uh you are dating, you are with a white man. I am. You are with with a white man and you are not white. white. I'm not. And that may mean that certain problems may arise if there's an absence of consciousness or maybe tone deafness or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm really interested in how both of you navigate the space of being from two different cultures and uh, still feeling respected and seen in your own identity.
1: You know, it's. I think what's really interesting between like between my partner and I is that we both grew up in white households because I'm I'm adopted. I was adopted by um, a white family, so there are a lot of. I definitely have like an awareness of. Of his obliviousness of things sometimes because you've experienced it. Yeah, just I've been surrounded by it for a really long time, which I think is also why it was not that it wasn't difficult for me to be in a relationship with a white man. I've dated white men before. This is by far the best. He's the best white. The best white man. Yeah, Um, (laughs) the best white. (laughs) He is. He's great. He's like he's just very like consciously aware and like very open and always learning. Definitely has blind spots. He's definitely missed some things. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's. I'm trying to think of, like, moments where he has felt maybe like, oh, wow, I am with a black woman. And Mm -hmm. I think it's often, like, um, how he is, how he's perceived by other men. Like, there's Mm -hmm. been times where we've just been, like, out having pizza or something, and someone will come up and just be like, wow, your relationship is so beautiful. And it's consistently men that do that, that will come up and be like, wow, look at you this is so beautiful, we love to see, we love to see an interracial relationship, and we're just like, can you go away? Like, this was not supposed to be that deep. So what
0: does he feel, like, when you're saying like how he's perceived, how does he feel he's perceived in this
1: situation? But also, how do you feel perceived in that situation where men are always coming up to him saying that? You know, I think the only time I feel like a little, I feel a type of way about it when black men like give him props for Mm -hmm. like being with a black woman and then I get frustrated because I'm like well why is he getting props for this though am I like (laughs) yeah undesirable yeah yeah because that feels like the implication you know when they're like I guess like he's getting praise and I'm just over here like it's not like it's (laughs) so is it so unheard of is it so hard to be with a black woman (laughs) but you're like wow you're doing what we couldn't do like it just feels (laughs) it's so rude to me Um, I think it just makes, I think he just, it makes him feel cool. He ain't doing shit. All right. (laughs) All right. He ain't doing shit. I'm just like, look, a man is a man. Y'all (laughs) suck. He's still dumb. It's similar. I'm sure you feel
0: when people go up to him when he has Remy or when, you know, when he's with the, when we, he's being dad Mm -hmm. and they're like, wow, look, look at you. And not just that. Being a dad.
1: What's so interesting is that when he goes out with our daughter by himself, people, Think he adopted a baby? Like it doesn't even cross their mind that he These might calling have. The Police This motherfucker stole this baby. Yeah, they're just like, like he had a a college professor come up and was like, oh my gosh. You adopted. That's so beautiful. Can you tell me about the process? I'm a, a professor. I've been thinking about um, interracially adopting or transracially adopting. That's what it's called. And he was like, actually, she's not adopted. This is my baby. <laughs> like, this is my daughter. My 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 partner is black. We have a, she's a mixed race child. Yeah. And also he was like, um, and don't transracially adopt. It's actually the t- adoption industry. He knows because yeah. I've talked to him so much about yeah, it. Totally. The adoption industry is, Um. it's for profit. Very sick. Don't do it. So yeah, a lot
0: more. let's um. So then, at least he knows about this. So I, at least he's aware. He's having consciousness mm-hmm. of where there are disparities between, you know, someone who's white that is raising someone of color. So actually, yeah. I would love um to talk about this more because. You know, only recently have I been hearing more things about transracial adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, And so please, if you could explain so people who are listening that maybe don't know what it is.
1: Um, So transracial adoption is when a child is adopted by a family outside of their race. Mm-hmm. Um, which you are an I, example. I am, I am an example of this. I am transracially adopted. And like, just to put a pin in this really quickly, a lot of people think that like um, being transracial is like Rachel Dolezal. And that shit is so insulting to transracial adoptees. We've been yeah. transracial adoptees for our whole lives. It's been going on yeah. for a very long time. And the way that people just co-opted it and assigned it to this woman... <laughs> It's they're seeing it so as a transitional thing. Yeah, as if yeah, and and which I understand why they're doing it. I understand that it like makes sense to them. But the idea like this has already existed. It already has it's it's already a thing. Pick another one. Yeah, word. yeah. You can't you know? just own this. We <laughs> yeah. th- this is already a thing. The and they just appropriated yes. our title for call something Call it
0: else. like melanin binary yeah, something. I mean, I don't like you're moving what you across the it, spectrum
1: just... of how much melanin. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I it, that is what it is. It's um, Which is why you're used to maybe being around white
0: people who may be a little tone deaf. because Totally. Yeah, because I grew up people. in a
1: household that was very, very tone deaf, very colorblind. Ugh, it makes me nauseous even like thinking about it.
0: I also, let's talk about before we go on. Sorry to interrupt. Sure. I feel like no colorblind.
1: Let's talk about that term
0: colorblind. Yeah. Because we hear people say like, I don't see color. Mm. I'm colorblind. And uh, how do you feel about that statement?
1: It's not true. Yeah. And it's it's so easily proved to not be true because anybody that says it if you ask them, okay, so if someone just came up to you right now and stole your purse and left, how would you describe them to the police? You're not yeah. colorblind. Stop saying that. Yeah. It's it, it is just like absolutely ridiculous to me that anybody would say that the idea. And also the idea that you don't see color means that like you don't see value in the differences that we all have, which is very weird Or you don't, don't see the too.
0: pain and the oppression that someone's faced yeah. and understand it to understand where they are right now
1: today. Of course, of course. And that I think that obviously is like I guess like I always assume that that part is implied, but it's not because people are still out here using colorblind all the time. Yeah, I don't but, see color. But yeah, but like when people when you don't see color, like you're missing so much about the identity of a person just because you don't have it. Because let's be honest, it's the people without color that are the ones that are saying they're colorblind.
0: Exactly, um, because you know, and of course I'm not black, but I, a lot of people that I've talked to their blackness is more salient when it comes to their identity. People see that more first and yeah. then that influences how they're perceived and how people navigate the relationships with them therefore that influences your experiences and who you are today right and so we do need to acknowledge that to understand where you're coming from and your perspective and so i think it's actually it's like a modern racism it, like oh, a totally. modern ignorant racism to say i'm colorblind because then you're neglecting to acknowledge all of that that yeah. of color went through
1: and i think what as, we're gonna go all over the place um what's I so frustrating i love it because we still need to talk
0: about your white man we i want talking about a problem with that and then i want to talk about you raising a, a a mixed child you know so yeah. we we, boop, boop, we have, this yeah is, i know we got a lot women converse. this is how women go boop, 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 boop. i know
1: um, but i think like specifically something that a conversation i wish more people were having about racism is like what racism looks like i think mm-hmm. people are so quick to deny the existence of racism because in their mind racism is like a I don't violent know, physical yeah act. violent like lynching somebody or partitioning like, people by yeah, the color a clan meeting like a lot of like <laughs> very like severe like this representation of like yeah. what they've understood um, you know, segregation to be. And and all of these, like, vivid memories that they have from eighth grade of, like, well, that's what racism is, and I'm not that. Yeah. But I also, like, will cross the street if there's a black man walking towards me on the sidewalk.
0: Exactly, and I think that shows the degrees. It's like, you know, with petty theft to grand larceny, right. there's, like like you're saying lynching there's and, different and there's things like severity that. to it's microaggressions yeah you know it's like it's a spectrum of
1: yeah definitely. and so so it's so frustrating i think when white people are like well i'm not racist like and they use the whole like well I, so many of my friends are this or so many of my friends are that i'm like first of all you would never call one of those friends to like come and have this conversation with you because you know that they wouldn't co-sign it so why mm-hmm. you're even telling me that is a waste of time it's very annoying but um it is so it's so frustrating when they're like when you start to ask them like, well, what does racism mean to you? And then it's like, you know, being refused services at a restaurant Mm -hmm. or um, someone, you know, explicitly saying, a, an offensive slur or something mm. like that and it's so much more than that it's like the assumption that i'm not as educated as you because yeah. you're assuming that i came from an upbringing that i didn't come from or like so yeah. many like there are so many microaggressions that are like seriously racist yeah that people think well like that's just not that bad so like i don't think it's race.
0: yeah <laughs> like just to, sorry just real quick to give an example last night i did a show in fresno and a woman came up to me after the show she's I love Indian weddings. And it's just like, what the fuck, bitch? Like, what are you telling me this for? Like... This is so random. And they really think that it's cultural appreciation. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm appreciating your culture. I'm appreciating. It's like, you know what? I'm in my 30s and I'm not married yet, bitch. What? You know, like, I haven't had an Indian wedding and I'm offended now because all you're you're just connecting me to something that's Indian. You don't even know how much of my culture I I express or embody. And it's just a weird thing. Yeah, there's a lot of
1: assumptions there that are so frustrating because, like, It is so easy in my mind to find a point of connection with somebody. Mm -hmm. Why would that be the go-to? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just don't get it. I don't get it.
0: Because it's you assuming that that's something, now it's like an identity politics thing where it's like, because this is an identity vector of mine, you're assuming that now this is this because that's my identity. Exactly. But it's like, actually I'm not that, and now we kind of went backwards in our whole interpersonal exchange. Yeah. Now I think
1: you're weird. And I gotta go. Yeah, (laughs) racist bitch. Bye, Karen, <laughs> and they'll, and they'll really will. and they'll just stare at you like, don't you appreciate how much I appreciate you? Don't
0: yeah. you? <laughs> it's like I you people. I've seen you people with uh, <laughs> Julia Louis Dreyfus playing, playing that
1: tone deaf oh mom character, oh. which she did so well. But she did. But that oh was my God. it. Was of uh, that movie because that movie was it was fine. Yeah, it it started so strong. And then Mm -hmm. the ending really just didn't do anything for me. It felt like it was rushed. Like we were like, oh, we spent so much time on the first half of this movie. We're not really sure how to end it. (laughs) And they just like threw something in there and slapped together a wedding. I don't know, it was so odd.
0: Sorry, I'll say spoiler um, alert. Oh, just, <laughs> baggy, whatever. It's a Netflix
1: movie. I'll get on it. All right? My bad. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> if
0: you ain't watching shit on Netflix within the first three days, what the fuck are you doing? Exactly. You know? This is my problem.
1: <laughs> um But yeah, she was like such a good representation of that character. Mm-hmm. Like, like something that I think about all the time are when um, I'll encounter a white woman in the wild. I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> And they'll always feel compelled if they, like, bring up a black woman in conversation. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, and she was this beautiful black woman. Yeah. It's like, doesn't have to do with anything. Like, it was just, you know, somebody who, I don't know, rang them up at Costco. Like, it's just... Not even pertinent to the story. You'll be like, God, traffic was so bad. You know Maya Angelou, (laughs) she used to drive a vehicle. And I'm just like, Why do we? Was that important? Was that an important part of the story? And I think what's so frustrating is like when they're specifically saying because it is specifically like the phrase, like beautiful black women. And I've heard it so many times from so many different white women, and I want to be like, (laughs) We can't all be that beautiful. Like we are. Black women are beautiful. I love black women. I find beauty in all black women. But it just is so like consistently when it's every single like every single encounter that I have with somebody and they're like and this beautiful black woman came and said this or this beautiful black woman walked by and complimented my outfit or like whatever it is and I'm just like eh. Yeah. I actually feel
0: like, and maybe I'm sensitive to this, but I feel like that's racist also because I feel like that is normalizing beauty as white beauty and therefore like, othering yeah, it. Yeah. But so oh, like but she's you're the black exception. beauty. <laughs> yes. So let's go beauty, but black beauty. <laughs> but if it's just a white person, so you're beautiful. Yeah. But if it's black beauty, so it's other, therefore less than, I feel like farther away from the white center, which is where the power is. And I just, I just yeah. don't like, that's racist. <laughs> if someone said that should not be with you, I'm like, you know what? That's. Actually, racist. You're othering her beauty right now, <laughs> and therefore what? lessening. You know me. what I'm
1: like loving. This is what I'm picturing as we're talking about this. It's just like you know those um those like price guns that like price things in like stores. It's just like you walking around with a price gun like that's racist and that's racist, <laughs> and, that's racist and that's racist. And you know what? I don't like that. That's I lo- racist. I
0: love that. I love that. And you're just like tolerating it. and I'm like I'm not having this. Fucking no, no. <laughs> This is what grad school's done I to love me, I'm telling, I... you, I'm telling you. you, now that i read some shit now, I'm like, oh my God, I can see everything is fucking racist. <laughs> Everything's racist. Like, even this new article I read in Massachusetts is thinking about passing a law where people who are incarcerated can le- lessen their time being incarcerated by donating an organ or donating something. What? And it's so ridiculous that this is even on the table because it's like, let's think about who is marginalized and consistently incarcerated mm-hmm. and who is... Is going to be the victim or you know, just who's benefiting from this and who is being placed at a disadvantage, right? And who's at a privilege. So it's like these people who are always already at a disadvantage, people of color mm-hmm. that are placed in incarceration. And now you're like, hey, can we have your organs too? So you can like live a shorter life, but like whatever. And How did it's I like, not
1: know about this? That is so It's so awful. crazy. And it's just wow. like people
0: are becoming people of color are like literally, I feel like in that it just uh and it's not just people of color of course there's impoverished communities that suffer from being incarcerated too but mm-hmm. it is anyone who is disadvantaged is now further disadvantaged and their bodies are being like used yeah. which is crazy That's and then awesome. i feel like that was like that is totally a race issue yeah that um, is racist but it's not it's the not person being system sold absolutely gets the sticker super you know, duper we yeah know that. super duper <laughs> so racist super duper <laughs> what happens when you hit the vape pen before the show you can't be talking about problematic things saying super duper all right but <laughs>
1: <laughs> super duper super duper racist super duper racist i'll never forget this for the rest of <laughs> My rest of my life. Uh, we were talking about. You
0: told Rummy about it. Mommy, is that the girl? Is that the
1: girl? Is it super, super duper? duper. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> um okay white family white parents what was the question you asked you me uh, yes we so went, i want
0: to know the problems that you what what is oh yeah so where do you about the, find ben is challenged uh, i'm sorry Well, let me um, uh, sorry where so we, you were of, right? Colorblind, colorblind, right? we were talking yes, about colorblind right we're talking about colorblind yes
1: and like yeah they, they were uh my parents were very much of the opinion of like everybody has the same opportunities everybody like all you have to do is like work hard and be um i mean and like work hard and like be honest and whatnot whatever a bunch of other Mm-hmm. morals that like yeah everybody here is Bootstraps, but, yeah bootstraps basically yes that's what i was thinking um in order to like survive in life and be happy and i think whenever i had approached my parents about like racism or like the existence of racism it was really just like a sort of like oh well there's going to be some people that don't like you for the color of your skin and mm-hmm. then that was it like that was the talk yeah. it wasn't Um, There was no, like, awareness of, like, sometimes people aren't going to feel safe around you. Um, Sometimes people are going to assume things about you Mm -hmm. that, you know, you might do something that you might break the law or you might not be trustworthy. So, like, I encountered all of these moments of racism by myself, not knowing how to navigate them. Because, like, my parents were just, like, not... aware enough to validate it and I think like that is um, that is my biggest gripe with transracial adoption mm-hmm. is that um, race is such an important part of our identities mm-hmm. and is so important when it comes to like how other people perceive us mm-hmm. so when you're navigating these terrible times or these frustrating moments, Um, what you seek is understanding and how can you seek that understanding from a family of people that will never feel that? Mm -hmm. How can you explain to them something that they'll never feel? And how can you expect validation from people that, that don't won't they won't know and they won't see it. That's the thing that I think is so, is so frustrating as well is that a lot um, of white adoptive parents don't, realize that they are not going to see Mm -hmm. racism the same way that their that their kids will Mm -hmm. because why would they be looking for something that doesn't exist to them
0: yeah they're gonna try to look at a situation from an unbiased like oh you were picked on like or or something happened and they're not gonna look at it with the bias that
1: maybe that someone someone is just doing something Mm -hmm. specifically because they are hateful
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it feels like maybe like a missing puzzle piece when coming to understand your identity if you are a transracial adoptee. Like, Mm -hmm. did that ever make you feel like you wanted to search for your biological parents? 100%. -hmm.
1: I wanted to search for my adoptive family, I would say, from when I was like, I don't know, probably like 13 until I finally did when I did a 23andMe a few years ago. And um, are you? Were your parents? How did that conversation go with
0: your parents? I never told them. Uh-huh. So
1: that's something that happens. Is uh, there's this like experience for adoptees? It's called like the fog, which is like fear, obligation, and guilt. Mm-hmm. And so there is this expectation of, and this isn't just transracial adoptees, but I think it like that's the only group that I am a part of. So it's the only mm-hmm. one that I feel comfortable speaking about my experience in mm-hmm. this way. Is that there is this expectation of of gratitude for that you are supposed to have mm-hmm. um, this idea of like you have been rescued by these people you are um, living a better life. yeah you're living a better life and you should be grateful for everything that they're providing about you why do you care about a family that didn't want you mm-hmm. and so and I just was like
0: it's unfortunate sorry to interrupt but to say that they didn't want you also because I think what what our society may be forgetting to understand is that systemic problems lead certain families to not be able to have the right
1: to raise their kids and Mm -hmm. they're taken away and so it's not necessarily taken away and then funds taxpayer funds are reallocated to other families money money which is a major resource that a lot of families that put their children up for adoption need Mm -hmm. that same money is going to somebody else who is to deemed for appropriate children. by Who the is, system? Right, by mm-hmm. a system that's also white skewed, holding back
0: the other people that the baby was taken care taking yeah. away from.
1: So it's it's just like like it's so flawed in so many ways. Um, and so, but yeah, that was that was essentially what it was was just like this belief of like, yeah, you're not. Like, these people didn't want you. We want you. You're a member of our family. So, like, this is your family now. Mm-hmm. And it was sometimes spoken, but, like, mostly implied. And so I never expressed that that was something that I would want um, because I just felt, I felt, like, too guilty to do that. Yeah. And so when my um, dad had passed away, Ben had bought me, my boyfriend, he had bought me a um, 23andMe me. I think like a year or two before my dad had passed away and I was like too scared to take it. Mm-hmm. I did. I was like too scared to do it. I just felt really guilty. Um, You know, I, I didn't know what was going to come of it and I didn't trust that I wouldn't tell my dad. And so I just kind of wanted to like leave it alone. And then I swear like a week or two after he passed away, I was like, well, time to do this 23 of me and find yeah. out who else is out there. And, uh, and I did, I found, I found my birth sister. I found, um, some cousins, and now I know all of my siblings. We do Zoom calls on Sundays. I'm missing ours today, but. Um, oh. oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's not, I, I also have a show. You know what I mean? <laughs> but. Perfect. Um, and I miss it. I probably only hop on about once a month now. But it is – and that's been, like, really validating and, like, really exciting. Were your, um, are, were your sisters also adopted or were they – So I have one sister and she was – not I was the only child that was put up for adoption. Okay. So nobody knew that my birth mom was pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. Nobody was aware. And then from what I understand, um, I was also – I was born – Because of the Loma Prieta earthquake I wasn't due yet but uh, my birth family lived in Oakland the earthquake from what I understand from my file um, threw my birth mother out of bed and induced labor and so she went to the hospital they left uh, and then they came back with no baby. So they were in the hospital for a few days because I was placed with my adoptive family when I was five days old Mm -hmm. as an emergency foster care placement. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just stayed, I stayed with them. That was a long-term placement with them. And then after like a year and a half, they hired an attorney and went through the adoption process. Okay. Um, So yeah, but from what I understand, none of my other siblings were. And I have, so I have one sister and then I have uh, seven brothers, right? Yes. Yes. We'll say yes. Uh, <laughs> so there's there's nine of us. Awesome. Um, that's, so,
0: that's so awesome that you are able to connect though. Do you feel like now getting to see each other, getting, or getting to at least communicate, do you feel like that missing puzzle is kind of, that missing puzzle piece may be getting filled in by understanding?
1: Oh yeah, I think it's incredibly healing. I think between being a parent and then also connecting with my siblings, is like very healing mm-hmm. it's a very like healing very affirming um process it's really exciting and just also being able i remember like the first time we all got on a zoom call together and i was like oh wow like we all look the same like we are it's this makes a that lot must of feel sense. really cool coming yeah. from
0: a place of being adopted of not and having, not seeing that yeah
1: so yeah. it was like immediately like really exciting and i loved it and so, and even, like, our kids look similar. One of my brothers has a um, little boy that is, I want to say, like, uh, maybe a year, a year and a half older than my daughter, and they mm-hmm. look so similar to each other. It's really, it's so cute. So it's exciting That's to, awesome. like, see that. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you found that.
1: Yeah, me too. Because, yeah, the, just the whole, growing up, how I did was kind of brutal. And my parents were a lot older as mm-hmm. well. So all of their birth children were just different in house. so many ways yeah. also
0: age, such a huge age difference, mm-hmm. racial difference, cultural yeah. money maybe. I mean, oh yeah.
1: God. And I think that like that caused a lot of like rifts too, because my parents were more financially stable when they just had me in the house than mm-hmm. they were when they had like their birth children in the house. They had five kids Um or they had five kids total. They had four kids that are their birth children. Um, one from my mom and dad and three from my mom's first marriage so the money was tight and so by the time when i came around they were like in their late 40s and they're like yeah we can go to disneyland like we can we have we can afford to do things we couldn't do before yeah and so then my siblings resent me because they're just thinking they're like wow you just got this childhood that we never had you got to go to disneyland you got a barbie jeep you got all this shit and i was just like yeah but like They know your kids. You know what I mean. (laughs) Like they're around for your grandkids. Like my my dad's not gonna walk me down the aisle. I knew my parents were never gonna see me have kids. I knew that like I watched my parents bail out my siblings so many times, and I knew I was never gonna get that. Like Mm -hmm. I knew once I moved out. Well, tough shit, like, I'm on my own Mm -hmm. because they're going to be gone. And Mm -hmm. then I don't have a fall plan. I don't have a place to crash. I don't have, you know, I don't have any of that. So I think, and I think that's sort of like a grass is always greener sort of situation. But also just like the validation that they had of like being related, like being biologically related to like a group Yeah, is just... You, there's no possible way to like know how it feels like mm-hmm. to not have that, I guess. But um, for me, so it's yeah, just, like, I got empty. to go to
0: Disneyland a couple
1: times. Yeah, so, right? I got to go to Disneyland, but like <laughs> I would have rather, you know, have some yeah. siblings, Been had some siblings, had some kids. Related. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you being a black woman and Ben being a white man, how do you feel like culture plays a role in maybe challenges you may have with parenting?
1: Um, I feel like. I am – I feel like there's a lot of times where, like, I feel compelled to take the lead on um – a lot of things because I'm the one that's like so mindful that I'm raising like a black woman Mm -hmm. right and I'm I am very aware that she's a mixed race child she is white and she's black but like she's out in the world people are not going to look at her and be like well that's a white girl Mm because she does that's not how she looks and so I think we have conversations about um ways that she is perceived out in the world and how um even though she is so young like she will not always get the same grace mm-hmm. that other babies get when they're, you know, out and being babies. And in addition to that, I think like something that I can think of off the top of my head. I know that there are like deeper things that have happened that I'm just like having trouble pulling. Yeah. But um, specifically when I think of times where Ben is out with our daughter and I am not there, I'm mm-hmm. so particular about like how are you doing her hair? What is she wearing? I need you Mm -hmm. to send me a picture of, like, what you're going to put her in before you send her out. Because I've, like, this weekend, for example, I'm working at Rooster Tea Feathers. I have not been home since Friday. Mm -hmm. And so, and he's been out and, like, doing things with her. Like, they went out to. What um, does her hair look like? Exactly. They went out to a museum. They went to um they went out to breakfast and i told him before i left i was like i'm gonna need you to send me a picture every morning what are you gonna put her, what are you gonna put her in what are your shoes plan how are you gonna do her hair and he's done okay like there's room for improvement but enough that like yes this is a child who she has taken care curly of. hair that is tended to mm-hmm. you know and um we're constantly learning but those are conversations we've had to have is like you can't just take her out to target in her pajamas. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going to take our daughter out of the house, like she has to be in clothes and she has, and her hair needs to be nice. It needs to be done. I've
0: never really thought about that. I guess, I guess that's a privilege of mine is not really thinking about how you may be perceived or how your child may be perceived Mm -hmm. and just, comfy relaxed clothing when out. And I think a lot of
1: it I'm sure like there is some of it that stems from just like ego mm-hmm. from feeling like I don't ever want like this child is clearly mixed race and The other parent is definitely, like, the ethnic parent. Yeah. So, and especially since he's the dad, it's like, well, what's the mom doing? Like, why is this baby out here looking like this? Yeah. Where is mom and what is she doing? Because she's not doing her child's hair and she's not putting her in clothes. You want
0: to make sure you and the parts of you that are reflected within Remy are reflecting your blackness Mm -hmm. in a proud way where you're like, yeah, I'm here. I'm taking care of her. She's taking care of you know so so and I
1: think like some of it I will admit like stems from like insecurity too where I just like want to make sure that like because some of it is I just need the validation of like I want the world to know that I'm a good parent which is uh, of course I, I think everybody wants to be a good parent but I don't yeah. know how much it matters how other people perceive it but yeah, yeah so that's something that we've kind of dealt with Um, I've had really bad anxiety so that probably has a role too in yeah. like what is she wearing I need to know I need to know everything about her and what she's doing so that yeah. I'm like at ease, because ever since I had her, I've had um very gnarly postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. I've had anxiety my whole life, but it's gotten a lot worse. yeah. and um, I have I do a lot of like catastrophizing when she was six months. I would have like these like repetitive just like visions of really bad things happening, yeah. like her falling or, you know, her shirt or her onesie coming undone and getting stuck on her head or like things yeah. like that. Um, I was never like depressed or hopeless, but I was always just very, very, very anxious. And that didn't, that was really rough. Um, so I think that plays a role in it too, where I'm just like very kind of obsessive yeah. because I'm there. I'm constantly in a state of worry. I'm on medication, but yeah, you know,
0: well then so I'm going to, I'm excited to move to this question then with your state of worry, because yeah. I do also state of worry. And I think about, uh, I know that. Um, disciplinary wise within schools I mm-hmm. feel like I've read an article recently which is talking about how um, you know children of color are getting disciplined um, much more severely in school environments as mm-hmm. opposed to um, white kids and I so I guess how have if you have thought about it yet how have you thought about better better preparing Remy for how have you thought about better preparing your daughter for facing, Displ- disciplinary discrimination in the school.
1: Um, I think like, I feel like, yeah, a lot of that has to do with like being aware that I'm raising a black child is mm-hmm. like making sure that from a young age she is very confident in her own self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. So being able to like speak specifically to like, okay, so I understand is this is what I've done and this is what's happening. Like being able mm-hmm. to, um,
0: because obviously like
1: she's never going to be in charge if she's in the classroom, if she's being disciplined. Mm-hmm. But to be able to like verbalize, that's what I want to teach her is enough to be able to like to like vocalize, well, this is what I understand to be happening. I want to make sure that that's clear mm-hmm. um, so that she can come home and let me know. And yeah. then I can handle that accordingly, whether it's pulling her out of school and putting her in a different school, I don't know what it is but yeah. um cuz that happened with me I had a very disciplinary third grade teacher who did not like me mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. and she was very verbally abusive um and my parents had to pull me out of school and she she was abusive to me and she was abusive to two other girls and this was in Fremont when I went to yeah. school in Fremont I went to Durham Elementary hey I went to Durham Elementary did you really
0: shut up yeah. I, went I went to Durham Elementary I went to
1: Durham and I got pulled out to and went to Matos oh
0: my god mm-hmm. yeah I went to Durham for a couple years and then went to Horner wow
1: well look at us finding this out what year did you but, graduate high school uh
0: I graduated high school
1: 04. Oh, okay okay I'm seven. about you Oh, seven. Okay. Yeah, so we were, were probably, prob- we time. might've been at Durham at the, probably maybe, maybe cut, at the, maybe at that the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: no, but um, uh, so yeah, we were talking about um, uh, disciplinary action and. Um, yeah.
1: The point was just that I had, yeah, I had an abusive teacher who did not like me. There were a set of um, twins that were Indian girls in my class. And we were the three people of color in that mm-hmm. class. And our teacher abused all of us.
0: And it causes such a loss of innocence, I think, for kids oh, yeah. of color to under to face these things, mm-hmm. this discrimination, loss of innocence, but also to have to grow up to have such a high level of awareness. Like you, the way yeah. you're talking about Remy being able to advocate for herself, um, having that awareness, and then also having the awareness of how society and other situations may treat you. Like yeah. I know a lot of parents talking to their young boys, and just it's just a uh, I guess it's sad, but at the same time, it really makes me um, so happy to know that young people are having more awareness of just things on how to communicate. You know, yeah. not to say that this is good in any way, um, but it's great that you're teaching her those communicative skills. Yeah,
1: just be. I want her to be able to like set boundaries with people. We're working very hard on that. Yeah. Um, just like yeah, we don't force hugs. We're not. We don't have to eat things we don't want to eat. Um, so speaking of boundaries. Hmm. You say boundaries, and you're talking about anxiety
0: and how you're you're a mom. Mm -hmm. I want to understand how you set boundaries on being able to just be you. Tell me about the experience you've had of maintaining being Becky, not Becky the mom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just being me. Because I haven't known
0: you as Becky the mom. The last time I saw you, you were not a mom
1: yeah i yeah. feel like the last time i was i even pregnant the last time i saw no you? it was no. before
0: covid it yeah, was yeah it was right, your yeah, audition was... for punchline it was and i passed yeah you passed <laughs> i remember we all went and got a beer after
1: yeah hey. um yeah that was uh it, being me now is very different but i will say i am so blessed to have a partner that is very supportive in like in maintaining my own autonomy. Yeah. So we had a lot of conversations when I was pregnant where I was like this is what stand up looks like how does this seem for you? Um because that is a part of who I am, right? But I also understand that like it's a job. So he is like very supportive in like being like hey, you need to you need to take some time to just like do a you thing. Mm-hmm. And um that helps a lot, but in addition to trying to find that space There is a lot of guilt. There's a lot of, like, expectation. Like, um, well, you know, why are you out doing stand-up when you have a baby at home? Or why are you... like leaving town overnight. What yeah. are, you know, how do you trust your, your partner to like be good at being a parent?
0: Which sucks. Cause it's like, what? He had the baby too. I trust exactly. him because he's we just like We made it. Me. We're together. Yeah. Like we know how
1: to do all of the things. And I do think about that too. Like I have a fair amount of friends that don't have the same dynamic that mm-hmm. Ben and I have when it comes to parenting because we really are. I'm a control and that freak. that
0: dynamic you mean by like both uh, Really
1: co-parenting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't like, like we are both home. We both work from home. Uh, we can switch off if anything i would say that ben the skills are nothing is ever equal in parenthood and never will be but uh when it comes to like her care mm-hmm. i think that he tips the scale more in caring for her mm-hmm. than i do just like diaper changes laundry mm-hmm. meals um because right now i'm back in school right now and i'm doing i'm working my day job i'm doing comedy i'm trying to be just like have yeah. relationships with my friends outside of comedy which is like the hardest part you're focusing
0: part. on all the slices of your
1: pie to be yeah. a well balanced woman yeah so, so how do
0: you deal with when people are like oh my god so where is she and you I just, just I ask like
1: I always answer like very like very clearly I'm like she's with her dad and then sometimes I get like they'll say something slick about it, like "Oh wow, Ooh, he's not
0: a moron."
1: Yeah, and he's I'm just like, I had you know, I had a baby with a very competent man yeah. who I trust. It's like, oh, to you care decided for to our have a baby child. with an idiot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. What do you feel like you do? And do you do anything to let him know where you're like this is? Or actually, yeah. Do you, where you're like I'm hitting a,
1: a breaking point where
0: I need to express my individual
1: individuality. I will say, um, not yet, but okay. I am. We are very, very communicative. Like last night, um, I was on the phone with him in a McDonald's parking lot, and I was just like, I've not been doing enough school. I've been, uh, I didn't like focus enough. I'm feeling burnt out. I'm not giving myself any grace. I'm stressed. And he is so good at, because I'm so anxious. So he's mm-hmm. so good at being like, yeah, you're not supposed to be able to do all of these things. Like we've both oh, had a rough week. Um, everything is very overwhelming right now. This is a moment in time. This isn't representative of like all time. Uh, he is just like, he's so good at being supportive and yeah. being um aware of of what's going on and when i'm like on the cusp of spiraling because i do yeah. i do that and i think and so when i set boundaries with him which i do sometimes do where i'll be like i'll be in our room and i'll be like don't come in here i just need some time i need a nap i need yeah. to just like watch a show yeah i need to just veg out and he's just like okay
0: yeah that's fine That's really great that he's able to recognize where you know where you may need help and and feed you and water you in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, That sounds really healthy, and that's really important, I think. Yeah. So I guess that leads therapy. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's a very important thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads me to my last question, which we ask uh, everyone that comes here: is Mm -hmm. how can someone better love you in any sense maybe as being yourself through with your partner or your mom as you as a mom or you just as you
1: how can I someone think, better love you uh literally that question is i think how people like how i could be loved more is yeah. by being asked yeah like i think that that like that happens with with, with my partner a lot i'm ready where, to love you becky i'm ready to love you <laughs> thank you yeah like <laughs> Um, having a conversation how can i best support you Mm -hmm. what is it that you need where um where can i fit into this can i do this for you i think um being i don't know me focused
0: yeah (laughs) is the best way yeah because you've said that you like to manage certain things and and if someone else manages it manages it that may not help
1: you right yeah so i think then that's like something that we go through a lot where like i've talked to i've talked about and been like hey, you did this thing that wasn't the best way to support me, so like, maybe ask me. If you don't know, yeah. ask me. like, Hey, how can I support you? Because I'm not really sure what I'm doing is helping. Yeah. So asking. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Listening. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Did that, was that a good answer?
0: No, that was a total good answer because okay. I feel like I like being asked too. I like talking about myself and what I need. Yeah. And if you give me the space to do so, even just doing that makes me
1: feel better. Like I'm like, oh. so when do we get to do your podcast and like talk about you?
0: Yeah, oh, I don't know.
1: I just say a I'm working. On, I'm
0: working on something for myself here, which is I'm trying to shut the fuck up sometimes. That's, oh, okay. That's been the challenge of this podcast is mm-hmm. is really like I would love to elevate others and and then this I was like oh my god and me when I blah 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 you know like sometimes and I'm like no and so. I don't know. I guess uh, whoever's listening gets to get to know me slowly through yeah. these uh, these little tidbits as they uh, you know keep listening, but. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. I feel like we're gonna have to do like a part two and like go more into depth in the other things like colorism. I want to yeah, yeah. know about Remy growing up half yeah. white, which means she's gonna have a different experience of being a black woman than you and like how you prepare yourself for that. Yeah. And uh, you know, but we already ended
1: this one. We'll so do I guess a part I'm not two, gonna ask questions. But will come back. I'll bring, a, I'll bring a little price gun with I'm racist stickers <laughs> I on will. it.
0: I think we should, honestly, I see a sketch as that. Girl, we need to go to the fucking grocery store. We need to go somewhere. Because I will spot it. I'll be like, that's racist. <laughs> racist. Anyways, all right. That was it for today. Oh wait, drop your social media um, oh. so everyone can follow
1: you. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram at oh that's Becky O-H-T-H-A-T-S-B-E-C-K-Y like oh that's Becky. Um, awesome. <laughs> and that's also my website if you want to check out my stand up. I have a clip on my website at oh that's Becky.com. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much, Becky. Thank you. Thank you
0: for being. On Thank you for having day. me. I had a good time. I did too. And I love that I learned stuff. I like laughing and learning. Yeah. And that's it for episode four tune in next time. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, and until next time, ta